It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Welcome to the Under the Hood podcast. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. The calendar is turning to May, which means we're hitting the home stretch of the 2020-2021 hockey season. And it's been an interesting stretch for the Indy Fuel. We've had a lot of schedule changes. We've had a suspended game. And it's just this season and just about every curveball you could have from the delayed start to half the league playing to games postponed because of COVID to games postponed because of ice conditions. We've had it all. And so uh, the fuel have managed to kind of take all those punches and roll with them and be in a spot to contend for a playoff spot here as we hit the home stretch of the season. This upcoming week, the Fuel were expecting to play the Florida Everblades on Friday and Saturday, but due to uh, a few Florida players in COVID protocol, those games have been postponed. And as a result, the Fuel will not play Friday and Saturday. Instead, they will play Sunday afternoon at home against Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne was originally scheduled to play Florida on Sunday. So the Comets will come to Indy instead for a 4.05 p.m. faceoff. Just one other game this week, the Fuel traveling to Wheeling on Wednesday. And then uh, Fort Wayne will be back here on Tuesday, May 4th, for a 7.05 p.m. game. And from there, the Fuel are scheduled to go on a nine-game, 24-day road trip that will see them travel to South Carolina, Fort Wayne, and Rapid City. And we don't know if there might be some more adjustments to the schedule made beyond that. But what we do know is the Indy Fuel right now are 28-19-4. They're in third place in the Eastern Conference in points percentage, one one-thousandth of a point ahead of the Orlando Solar Bears right now, although they're one point back of Orlando in total points because the Fuel have played one fewer game than the Solar Bears. Orlando took two out of the three games this weekend. It was an eventful one. Friday night, the Fuel fell in an early 2 to nothing hole, rallied back to tie it, gave up a goal late in the second period on a deflection. Again, rallied back to tie it shortly thereafter, but a late power play goal by J.J. Pikinich gave the Solar Bears a 4-3 lead, and then they added an empty netter late to win it 5-3. Saturday night, the Fuel found themselves down 2 to nothing, and then we had some issues with the ice as a chunk of ice came loose, and that made the surface unplayable. They couldn't get it set uh, to play again, so that game was postponed until Monday night, and the Fuel eventually dropped that game 5-1 to one as Orlando scored a pair of power play goals and won shortly after a power play expired upon the resumption of that game. Sunday, however, was a record-setting day for the Fuel as they tied a team record with eight goals in a game and tied the team record for victory margin with an 8-2 to two victory over the Solar Bears in a game that we've been waiting for this Fuel team to have. They've struggled to score goals the last 20 or so games, and we're just waiting for this team to explode, and that they did. And it all got started with Tommy Apap, who has really been an impressive player since he's come to the Fuel after finishing his collegiate career at Michigan State, has done a lot of the little things, playing on an energy line, winning face-offs, 
being heavy on the forecheck, killing penalties. He gets rewarded with a goal as Nick Hutchison beats out an icing. It leads to Nick Pirog winning a puck and feeding APAP in the slot. As always, Nick Olchak joins me for the call. Alex Router plays it into the Orlando end. Hutchison beats out the icing into the right wing corner. He and McInnes go into the boards together. They both go down, and the Solar Bears take the puck. Along the far boards, Pirog forces it free. Plays it into the slot. Apap shoots. Scores! Tommy Apap with a shot from the slot. Deflected up and over the goaltender, Oldham. And the Fuel lead it one to nothing on the first career professional goal for Tommy Apap. The Fuel led 3 to nothing after a period with APAP tallying a goal and two assists. And then in the second, Tristan Langen got Orlando on the board to cut the lead to 3-1. to one. But just 30 seconds later, Matt Marcinou answered with this beautiful goal, the first of his two on the day, to restore a three-goal lead. Tad Cozen, whose brother, Taryn, a goaltender, has been all over the league this year, played one game with the Fuel to take the draw for Orlando, but it's one from him by Indy. Pass out through center. Nick Pirog across the line, two on two. Puts on the brakes at the top of the right wing circle. Back diagonal to Marcinou. Dangles, shoots, and scores! Matt Marcinou right down Main Street. Stick handled around to D and then pushed it past the goaltender, Michael Lackey, and the fuel with a quick response. It's 4-1. to one. When you're able to win a faceoff in your defensive zone, and get out clean and quick. It catches the other team off guard. And what a play. Carrying the puck wide by Nick Pierre. He stops up. He waits for that second wave of offense coming. And it's Matt Marcinou. Tucked the shoulder wide. Drop that right shoulder. And go backhand, forehand, right between the legs of the Orlando goaltender. And on his way to the bench for the celebration with his teammates, Matt Marcinou shared a couple of words with some players on the Orlando bench. Just a minute and 22 seconds after Marcinou's goal, Michael Pellick set an ECHL milestone. Playing in his 750th game, Pellick swept the puck across to Dylan Malmquist, and he buried the shot for a 5-1 to fuel lead. Pellick's assist was his 391st of his ECHL career, putting him all alone in third place on the ECHL's all-time assists list. Now Tommy Apap taking it to goal. Tried to shovel it back out to Dylan Malmquist the next layer, but topping intercepts taken back by the fuel. Malmquist shoots and scores! It was forced free from behind the net by Nick Pirog, and he put it out in front, Dylan Malmquist. Pokes it home, and the Fuel lead it 5-1. to one. The forecheck has been sublime. If you could put pressure on the opposing team, especially on the defenseman, you force them to have to make the second or third decision when they're not comfortable. And it's just a simple lift of the stick by Nick Pirog. And he tries to send it out front to Michael Pellick. The puck was in his skate. And he just kind of redirects it onto the back door where Dylan Malmquist was there to fire it to the back of the net. So the Fuel getting goals in all different ways. And Nick Pirog with another assist in this game. That's his third. And the Fuel lead it 5-1. to one. Michael Pellick with the other assist now all alone in third place on the ECHL's all-time list. 
That's number 391 for him. Coming in game number 750, which was supposed to be last night, but... Later on, Ryan Zulsdorf would score, and Matt Marcineau and Nick Pirog would each score their 20th goals of the season, becoming the 13th and 14th players in Fuel history to reach the 20-goal milestone. And that capped off an 8-2 victory for the Fuel on Sunday. Now let's meet our guests. We've got three on this edition of the podcast. Our first guest is Nick Hutchison. A rookie for the Fuel, he had signed with the Adirondack Thunder and played and scored his first career goal in his first career game last spring, right before the COVID pause. He became a free agent when Adirondack, as well as the entire North Division, announced it was not going to play this season. He signed with the Fuel and has had a tremendous rookie year. Nick Hutchison had an assist on Sunday in that contest, a goal on Friday night's game, and has four goals and eight assists and 12 points in 35 games this season, but uh, has two goals and two assists here in the month of April and has been playing some really solid hockey, playing on the uh, Fuels checking line a lot, and he makes a lot of things happen on the forecheck as well as, again, playing in a lot of different roles on the power play, uh, sometimes on the penalty kill as well. And so here is our conversation with the rookie, Nick Hutchison. Nick, first of all, about two-thirds of the way through the season, uh, just kind of describe the way things have gone for you in your rookie year and how much you have enjoyed being a part of this Indy Fuel team. Uh, I mean, it's been awesome, obviously, with everything going on, just getting a chance to be able to lace the skates up and be able to play hockey. It's obviously obviously been a little bit uh, special. And, uh, yeah, the group's been awesome. Uh, I've been welcome the first day I was here, and uh, I got nothing but good things to say about the guys and uh, the coaching staff here so far. Yeah, how much fun is it for you as well as your first full-season pro hockey experience to be part of a team that is winning and has for much of the year been playing some really good hockey? Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, nice to be, you know, walk onto a team right away that's, have a, had a winning record, and you know they've established that they're one of the top teams in the league this year. And um, I think the most important thing for me is just to be a sponge and learn as much as I can from guys, you know, like Marcy, Nikki P, um, and now Terry. You know, guys who have played in the American League have been playing hockey, professional hockey for a long time, and just to take everything you know that that they know and and to learn from them. What is probably the biggest adjustment? going from uh, playing in college to playing professionally? Um, games during the week. Um, <laughs> obviously, during uh, you know the college year, it's usually just Friday, Saturday. But, you know, I've been welcome to pro with a lot of important games. It's five nights and a lot of three and three. So um, just taking care of my body as much as I can to, you know, be able to go each and every game. You were a point-of-game player at Canisius, played in kind of that top six role, and, how have you been able to kind of move up and down the lineup where you've played in the top six role here, but also embraced uh, time when you've been in, in kind of more of a third line checking role? Um, yeah, I mean, I just think I have the ability to, like you said, play in the top six or, you know, be on a third line, be a checking line. I think I um, am able to play both sides of the puck really well, play both really well. And I think I'm going to be, you know, during my career, and um, yeah, I want to keep scoring uh, goals as I can, and 
you know, get on the score sheet as much as I can. But I think, you know, with the team we have here, um, there's a lot of guys who could put the puck in throughout the lineup. Um, so I think, you know, just being a hard player to play against every night is something that um, I'm definitely taking to heart and doing every night. It is really playing with a lot of energy and a lot of speed really your game? Yeah. I, mean, I love, you know, to be, you know, to be, have the puck on my stick, move the puck, skate uh, up and down the rink, be his present, and, uh, you know, playing with guys, even just playing with this past weekend, playing with JT and uh, Spencer Watson, just guys who were able to, you know, move the puck and uh, were about, uh, allowed to make plays. And it's just, um, yeah, I love the the game I'm playing right now. I'm really happy with how my game is. How special was it Wednesday against South Carolina where – you had played a really good game personally. A team came back in the third period, got it tied up. And um, how special was it for you to uh, get the opportunity in overtime and to uh, to put one away to end the game? Yeah, it was a really uh, really special feeling. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I've like, I've been playing really well late, and uh, I haven't got the results in the score sheet as much as I've wanted. But um, you know, I've come to the rink every day, just been putting my heart out on and going to work and to get rewarded uh, like I did on Wednesday was uh, a really nice feeling. I know we, we had a little skid there, and I was happy to, you know, get the two points for the guys. Last year, you finished up your college career at Canisius. You go across the state to make your pro debut in Adirondack, have a goal and an assist in your first game, and then everything gets shut down. Uh, what was that like for you, number one, to have a really good game in your debut, but then – all of a sudden uh, for the season to kind of end so abruptly and you know, leave you hanging for the off season. Um, yeah, obviously it's uh, a night I'll never forget. Um, you know, I had a really good night and, um, you know, I had a bunch of uh, friends and family there. So it was pretty special to have that moment, obviously playing in your, uh, your home state. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge honor. And yeah, it was, it was a crazy uh, week or so. It was, you know, I got there right after the season ended. I practiced, played the next day, and then all of a sudden the season was over. So uh, it was uh, it was a pretty crazy, crazy week, but uh, it was definitely something I'll remember, remember for sure. How did the opportunity come about for you to come to Indy? Um, I mean, I, I've known a couple of guys who have played here uh, throughout the years. Uh, I mean, I've been really close with Charles Williams and, Dylan McLaughlin, both uh, Canadian guys, and both are having great uh, professional careers. And you know, I talked to Doug uh, probably like a week or so after I announced uh, that they're not going to play this year. Um, so there was just there's a lot of back and forth, and then we talked for quite a while, and then there was an opportunity for me to come in, and um, I think I uh, you know I was chomping at the bit to to take it. You're a part of a family of hockey players. I know your younger sister Kaylee also plays professionally in the NWHL. You've got a brother that's playing in the USHL right now in Tri-City. What was that like for you growing up uh, as a family of hockey players, and how much did the three of you really push each other and, and play together growing up? Uh, yeah, it's awesome to see what uh, Kaylee and Connor have done. I mean, I couldn't be more proud to, you know, see everything that they've been doing and uh and will continue to do um yeah it was always a crazy uh hockey night every night at our house um always playing mini sticks or you know we'd go to practice and we'd play as much as we could 
Um, it was, uh, it, it's like I said, I'm just couldn't be happier to, you know, see how they, how they're doing. And I just, uh, I'm their biggest supporter. And obviously being the older one, I've had to, you know, beat up on them a little bit when we were younger, <laughs> but, uh, it's, I, I, like I said, I couldn't be more proud of uh, the both of them. Growing up on Long Island, not far from, uh, where the Islanders play in, in, in Uniondale, what? How did you get drawn into hockey, and uh, what was the hockey scene like on Long Island? Um, it's, it's I think it's really popular in Long Island, especially now with uh, Long Island University getting Division One team. I think the sport's only going to grow uh, more on the island. And uh, I'm actually a, a New York Rangers fan uh, from Long Island, but uh, my mom grew up in New York City and was a diehard uh, New York Rangers fan, so. Um, and she has that nice Irish blood in her, so what she what she wants, she gets. And um, yeah, I mean, growing up, it was always you know the Islanders weren't as good as they were right now, and the Rangers, you know, had a had a bunch of great players. I mean, my favorite player of all time uh, was Eric Lindros, and I getting to watch him uh, play at Madison Square Garden all the time was a pretty special thing. What's been your favorite thing about being here in Indy this year? Uh, just being able to play hockey and just the group in general. I think our group is really special. Um, I mean, every guy likes each other off the ice. It's uh, it almost has like a college feel to it, just the way they got the, how tight our group is. Um, and I think it's only going to help us uh, down the stretch here. Well, Nick, thanks so much for the time and good luck tonight and the rest of the year. Perfect, Andrew. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Nick Hutchison, Indy Fuel rookie, and we go from the rookie to the veteran. Terry Broadhurst joined the Fuel in early April, made his debut on April 9th and had an assist against Fort Wayne, and then a goal and two assists the next night. He has two goals and five assists in eight games with the Fuel. This is his first ECHL action since the 2012-13 regular season. He has spent much of his career in the American Hockey League, playing primarily for the Rockford Ice Hogs as well as the Cleveland Monsters. He's also played a couple of seasons in Europe. Terry is a native of Orland Park, Illinois, in the Chicago area. He's one of the veteran players on the team at 31 years old and has been a veteran of pro hockey, has played more than 250 American Hockey League games as well. And it's kind of an interesting story as to how he came here, because when Doug Christensen was trying to recruit him to come to the Fuel, he was interviewing Coach just about as much as Coach was interviewing him, because he wanted to make sure this was the right fit. Here is our conversation with the Fuel's forward, Terry Broadhurst. First of all, Terry, welcome to Indy. Describe what these first few games and weeks have been like for you here with the Indy Fuel. Uh, yeah, so far so good. Um, it's definitely a first-class organization. They've done a, a great job welcoming my family and I uh, to the organization, helping us get down here and travel and all the stuff that comes with uh, making a move like that. So uh, we couldn't be uh, happier with that situation. And uh, as far as the locker room goes and the guys in the room, it's a great group of guys. They've been uh, extremely helpful and welcoming to me. So that always uh, helps a ton when you're a new guy on the team. So, so far so good. And since coming in, you've been inserted on the top line. You've been a part of the power play as well and have been a part of a couple of power play goals. Describe especially the chemistry that you have developed with center Matt Marsnew on that top line and top power play unit. Yeah, I think it uh, it, it clicked pretty quickly. Um, I, and I think that there's more to come with it the more we 
play with each, play with each other, the more we learn each other's habits. Um, you know, I think that will just continue to grow. Uh, he's he's a really good hockey player. He likes to make plays. I think we uh, we see the game similarly as far as our hockey IQ goes, which always helps. Um, so yeah, for me playing with him, I've been pretty fortunate, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can continue to build on that. Uh, on the power play as well as five on five. Describe the process that brought you here to Indy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously been a crazy year with, uh, with COVID and everything going on. Um, so, you know, I guess Doug and I had talked a little bit, uh, probably going back a few weeks before I came down and, and kind of after chat with him and him kind of telling me about the team and the potential it had to, uh, possibly make a, make a playoff run and, uh, things of that nature. Uh, as it developed and as we kept the talk, it seemed like a very good opportunity for me. Um, not too far from home. Um, he's been from Chicago and then, uh, my wife's family is actually from Indianapolis. So there are a lot of positives for me coming down. And, you know, the thing that trumped it all was just the opportunity to play hockey, uh, and have a chance to win. So that's, that's how that process uh, unfolded. In talking with Doug Christensen, when you signed a couple of weeks ago, he said it was almost a process of you were interviewing him as much as he was interviewing you because you wanted to come into a good situation and come into a team that has a chance at winning a championship. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that played into my decision if, as much as anything um, for, you know, for how long I've played, for where I'm at in my career, winning is, a, is an important piece for me. I, you know, I, I want to be a part of that. And then the other side of that is, Having played this long, I understand that those opportunities don't come around every day. So to have the opportunity to step in, possibly help the team out, uh, trying to accomplish a common goal uh, was a pretty big sell for me. And, yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely how it unfolded. I I probably had as many questions for him as he did for me. And he, he was great in the entire process. And, uh, and since I've gotten here, you know everything he said is has been true to his word, which uh, which goes a long way for all players, not not just myself. So that's been uh, that's an important thing, no doubt about it. In your career, you've been a lot of different places. You've been in Europe for a couple of seasons, but the bulk of your career has been spent in the American Hockey League, including the last four seasons. Coming to the ECHL, what are some of the differences in style that you've noticed from the AHL to playing in the ECHL for the first time now in nine seasons? Uh, to be honest, not a ton. I mean, I think uh, a lot plays into that. There's uh, probably, you know, more guys in the East Coast Hockey League this year like myself who would normally be uh, in the American Hockey League. But due to, you know, circumstances, that's that's where we're at. And I think with the less amount of teams, you know, every team is good. The, the pace of play has really surprised me how, how good and how fast it is. So, there's really not a ton of difference I, I can see. I, I think this is a really good hockey league. I, I definitely think with only having so many teams playing, it naturally makes it more competitive. But uh, I've been impressed with the pace and uh, and all of that. Describe how you began playing hockey and got into the sport and developed growing up in the Chicago area. Yeah, I kind of fell into it. Um, you know, my, my dad didn't play organized. He just played on the ponds in the winter like uh, – you know, most kids from the Midwest, uh, it was just by chance. I think he was playing in like a rec ball league type scenario. And the story is that somebody broke a stick. They gave it to me and I, I never put it down. So I kind of fell in love with it from the start. Um, and we're kind of fortunate once I got into it, uh, through some common friends of my parents that had kids in hockey, they kind of led us down the right direction. And then, 
you know, as that ship kind of took off, I wound up playing, you know, double A hockey, triple A hockey up through the ranks. And, you know, I think like any kid, as you get older, you know, 15, 16, 17, it kind of appears that maybe you have, have an ability and a chance to do something. So that's kind of how it went for me. And, you know, played junior hockey, played college hockey, was fortunate enough to, uh, sign a contract with the Chicago Blackhawks after I was, uh, during my junior year of college. So, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't planned by any means. I fell I fell into it, but definitely fell in love with it, and uh, was very fortunate to have a lot of good coaches and a lot of good families uh, involved in uh, helping me get to where I've uh, gotten to. And then professionally, you get an opportunity to begin your career in the Chicago Blackhawks organization and spend much of the early part of your career near home with the Rockford Icehawks. How special was that for you to play professionally and be able to play so close to home in front of your family and friends? Yeah, I mean, it was it was something else. Obviously, a hometown kid to be able to uh, to do that is is pretty special. Um, you know, I was I was fortunate enough that my brother was in the organization as well, so we got to play together for a year. Uh, while we were there in Rockford, um, and then obviously with Chicago having the success they did, uh, you know, winning those Stanley Cups to just be around the organization at that time and, and to be around that a little bit was uh, something I definitely don't take for granted. And I, I learned a lot from the experience, obviously. Like any player who hasn't reached a pinnacle, you know, I I probably wish I would have got a chance to play, uh, play in the NHL there and, and have that opportunity, but Nonetheless, it was a tremendous, a tremendous experience to play close to home, to have my friends and family be able to come up and watch me. It was uh, was just awesome. In the first intermission, you heard part one of our conversation with Indy Fuel forward Terry Broadhurst. Here is part two. Terry, early in your career, you had a chance to play with your brother Alex in Rockford, and then a couple of seasons later, after you returned from Europe, you were together for a season in Cleveland. What was that experience like, getting the opportunity to play alongside your brother? Yeah, I mean, that was incredible. We, uh, growing up, we never really had the chance, just facing our age difference, uh, being four and a half years apart in age. So to do it in pro twice was something else. And then to even, you know, we, we played on the same line, uh, majority of the time, both our years together. And, uh, the year in Cleveland was pretty special. Uh, coming back from Europe, you know, I didn't really know what things were going to look like, uh, in that regard. So to wind up there, um, playing with him and then another guy we played with Zach Dolph, who had a really good line and had a lot of fun, uh, playing hockey together. I, I think, you know, with, with hockey, especially having a sibling, you're away from your family a lot. You're away from your brothers and your sisters and those types of things. And you really don't get much time home, you know, a few months in the summer, a few days during the, during the season for Christmas. So, to be able to spend an entire season with uh, with him and be in the locker room with my brother every day was uh, was just awesome. Being four and a half years apart, you didn't get a chance to play with each other growing up on the ice on teams, but did you pick up a little bit of that brotherly chemistry from playing in the driveway together or in the basement and carry that into being line mates in pro hockey? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, We've, we've played so much hockey off the ice against each other, just one on one. Every, every single day it felt like, you know, we had an unfinished basement in our house and my dad kind of kept it that way just so we could rollerblade around and play against each other. So, uh, our games definitely fit the same mold. Um, we think it the same way. We see it the same way. So there's kind of that, uh, you know, chemistry that doesn't have to be talked about or developed too much. It's just, just natural. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fun memories looking back onto that, and uh, without a doubt, that definitely helped and pl- had an impact on uh, how well we were able to play with each other on the ice. 
Describe the style of game that you try to play each night. Uh, it's a fast, up-tempo game. Um, I like to control the puck. I, you know, I want to carry the puck to the neutral zone and enter with possession, you know, make plays, shoot the score. Um, you know, like all players at this level, you have to be able to play a 200-foot game and, and be responsible defensively. So some I try to take pride in, especially as being an older guy, I try to lead by example in that way. But, uh, you know, that's kind of been my bread and butter is my speed and my uh, hockey IQ creativity type thing. So, yeah, I try to make a lot of plays and, uh, and just be a good teammate. How does your style really fit this Indy Fuel team? Because head coach Doug Christensen really likes to get the puck going, play with a lot of speed and push the pace. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that goes back to those conversations Doug and I were having uh throughout the process of uh, coming down here. And, um, you know, when he was telling me about the team style and how, and how they play, that that fits my mold. Um, obviously, there's a lot of different ways to play this game. And, you know, that's sometimes a part of a player's success or, uh, you know, where, where he kind of runs into a wall a little bit is how the style of play the team he's on is uh, playing. So, you know, I, I assume that it was like that, obviously, being the Blackhawks organization. They, you know, they have a style that they want to play, and, and Doug's philosophy was no different. Um, so, absolutely, I think I fit well into that. You know, we, we as a team want to play with pace. We want to push the pace. We want to be fast with the puck. We want to move the puck quickly, and uh, all that kind of falls in uh, into my style for sure. At whatever level you've been, being one of the veterans on the team, and especially here with the Indy Fuel, how much are you looked upon as somebody who can model for the younger players or be somebody the younger players can go to for advice about what the professional game is like? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, that's all part of uh, the process and almost duty a little bit of, uh, of a player that's played as long as I have. I mean, because there, there was plenty of guys who were like that when I was young, and, and some of those relationships I've kept and, and still talk to those guys about, about stuff now, now being a veteran and, you know, kind of picking their brains about how to, how to deal with some of those things that come. So I don't think it's so much of a loud rah rah thing, but there's, there's a lot of subtle things that happen in the game that you learn over the course of time in pro hockey and, and these young guys have to learn that. So for me to, you know, just grab a guy and say, Hey, you know, think about this, try this. Um, the big thing is consistency without a doubt. For the young guys, it's a long season, especially the college guys. It's it's very different going from playing 30 games to 72 games. And consistency is something that those guys got to work on. And that's that's just a mindset type of thing. So, um, you know, I I kind of relish that and, and try to do that because I was fortunate enough to have a lot of older veteran guys do it for me. And it, and it goes a long way for sure in, in the development of a player's career. So if I can be that guy and help out, I'm, I'm happy to do it. What has been a favorite memory or a favorite moment from your hockey career so far? Uh, it's definitely got to be playing with my brother. Uh, both occasions were, were great. Um, but that time in Cleveland was, uh, was pretty special for, uh, for us too. And like I said, this, the center that we play with Zach Dalby, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun hockey. We, you know, team success probably wasn't what we wanted, but, uh, we did have a lot of fun. And, and like I said, just having the opportunity to play with, uh, Play with my little brother has been cool, and uh, I will say the <laughs> the last thing, and this is an, a new memory, and hopefully I can do it more. Um, I have I have about a two year old son, and he's been on the uh, glass for warmups a few times in the few uh, home games I've played so far in Indy, and that is probably the coolest thing I've got to experience. He's old enough now to recognize my face and and kind of experience the game and and know what's going on. So uh, that is just. You know, that, that's worth it all day long to be able to do that in front of him. 
there's really nothing more rewarding than parenthood. And those moments are really worth cherishing and enjoying every opportunity. Terry Broadhurst, thank you so much for joining us and good luck today and the rest of the season. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to this uh, home stretch and getting into the playoffs. And that's Indy Fuel veteran Terry Broadhurst. Our final guest on this edition of Under the Hood is the Indy Fuel's video coach, Dennis Williamson. Dennis works tirelessly behind the scenes to break down the film, provide a lot of the advanced stats and the analytics that head coach Doug Christensen and assistant coach Andy Contoys use to help prepare for upcoming opponents, as well as breaking down previous games. And for Dennis, game night really begins not when the puck drops, but when the final horn goes off as he's breaking down film and making sure the coaches have a report on their desk early in the next morning so they can prepare either for the next game or the next practice. Dennis is a native of Norfolk, Virginia, and that area grew up with the Norfolk Admirals and began working with them. This is actually his second tour of duty with the Indy Fuel as he had a similar role back in the 2017-18 season under head coach Bernie John and then returned to the Fuel when Doug Christensen was hired in 2019. And this is his second year in this second tour with the Indy Fuel here is the video coach of the Fuel, Dennis Williamson. Tell us a little bit about your role with the Fuel as the video coach and what you do to help the coaching staff and Doug Christensen and Andy Contois prepare for games. Uh, well, yeah, I'm the team's video coach, like you said. I uh, handle a good portion of the team's video needs uh, during and after the games. I uh, break down every game into clips. Um, I do face-off pre-scouts for upcoming opponents. Um, I do a lot of stats and analytics for the coaches um, just to show who's played well in certain games or against particular opponents. Um, also, just an uh, extra set of eyes, uh, watches the players, and tries to provide as much you know, input and insight as I can, try to improve the team, make their jobs easier. You mentioned stats and analytics. What does that entail? I know one thing you do is keep track of time on ice, but what are some of the other stats that you're looking for and picking off of the video? Uh, well, there's a lot, really. Um, there's, uh, let's see, I think there's 32 different individual stats that I keep track of, and there's over 75 analytics that I use uh, based on those stats. Um, pretty much anything you could think of from scoring chances to shot attempts to hits and takeaways, turnovers, block shots. Uh, you think of it, I keep track of it. Um, and, yeah, I use the, the time on ice basically just to, to show you know, how often things are happening, you know, which guys are making the most of their ice time, which guys maybe could uh, do a little bit more. Um, and, yeah, it just helps the coaches with decisions, you know, back-to-backs, you know, who to play, you know, after in the second game of a back-to-back or, you know, which line combinations work better than others. Um, and, again, it's just to try to provide the coaches with as much information as they can to uh, to assess the players and make uh, good judgments. What does a typical game day look like for you as you prepare for a game or especially after the game as you break down the film? Right, yeah. Um, so typical game day, I'll usually get the lineup um, sometime around 1 or 2 o'clock, maybe uh, maybe earlier depending on you know if we've had a couple days off. Uh, but put together the line chart for, for you and Mark, and uh, so they you guys have it. You can send it off to the other teams. Uh, get all my stats and my, my little templates and stuff printed out. Um, usually about half an hour or so before puck drop, I'll 
set up my computer. I have kind of a two-computer setup going where I record from Flow Sports on one, and I have Steva, the program we use to mark the games on another. Uh, mark the games live uh, as they go um, during the intermissions. Um, one of the things I do with uh, just my little tally sheets, I keep track of scoring chances and face-offs. I'll text them to the coaches during each intermission just so they can make adjustments if they need to. You know, any particular thing I see, maybe I'll point out, but I try to keep it short for them during the intermissions. Uh, after the game, that's when the real kind of grind starts. Um, send them all the clips from Steva, uh, make them into movies one by one, send them over the next hour or so. Uh, then I'll start rewatching the game, and that's when I'll do all the stats and analytics. Um, keep a track of everything you could think of, like I said, and uh, upload it into my computer, send it to the coaches. Usually takes anywhere from three to five hours, depending on what happened in the game. There's a lot of penalties or, you know, whatever. It might take longer, but um, usually finish up anywhere between 4 and 6 a.m. Uh, get them the information that way when they wake up first thing in the morning, they've got it. Uh, they've got all the video clips, all the stats and analytics. they got everything they could possibly need to, to evaluate how the team played. Uh, at that point, I get a little rest. You know, if it's a back-to-back, i got to – get right back up in a couple hours and rinse and repeat um uh but yeah that's that's typical game day it's long starts at maybe uh you know six o'clock or so and doesn't end until 6 a.m so it's a long day for sure a long day but kind of a rewarding one as well and you mentioned that you're doing this essentially from home kind of describe what it is like to work remotely i know a lot of people have been doing that in various capacities and very uh, different jobs but uh, describe what it's been like for you to be in contact with everybody from a long distance um yeah it can be tough Uh, i was actually working remotely prior to the pandemic so i was sort of at an advantage in that regard where i didn't have to shift from being there to working remotely i'm sort of used to working remotely at this point um, but it's really, it's all about communication. Um, you know, whether you're there or whether I'm, you know, a couple hundred miles away, uh, you just have to be in constant communication with the coaches. You know, I talk to Coach Christensen um, about once a week, sometimes more, sometimes less, just depending on what he's got going on, just about how the team's playing, how individual guys are doing um, between those talks and just having worked for him uh, now for close to two years. I know have a pretty general understanding of what they need, when they need it, and just I, I do my best to, to kind of read their minds in a certain sense. To so just, okay, this is probably, they want this, I'll go ahead and send it. And more often than not, that's, that's what they're looking for. So I just try to do my best to have everything ready when they need it. And if they need anything else, they know I'm just a phone call or an email away. So it's it's been nice. It's been good. You got your career started in the Norfolk Hampton Roads area in Virginia and following the Admirals, who were at one time an affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. And describe how that has led you, number one, into your role with the, uh, just in hockey, but also here with the Fuel. Right, yeah. I So um, I, I grew up around the sport. Um, there were the Hampton Roads Admirals in the East Coast Hockey League back, back then. Uh, I went to my first game when I was two months old. Uh, my parents had season tickets, uh, and I... Missed a handful of games from the time I was two months old to when I left for college. Uh, saw some great players come through, uh, even back in the ECHL days. Uh, when they were the Anthony Rhodes Admirals, a lot of great goaltenders, some good players too. And then, yeah, when they, they switched over to the AHL in 2001, I believe, and uh, they became affiliated with the Blackhawks. And, 
yeah, I got to see see some great players come through, the Duncan Keith and Corey Crawford and Brent Seabrook and Dustin Bufflin, all those guys came through. Um, you know, they really are kind of what helped me fall in love with the sport. Um, I was watching those guys play and yeah, I had a, um, a relationship of a family friend of ours was just happened to be Al McIsaac, uh, who, you know, at the time was just a player for the Admirals way back when and ended up becoming an assistant coach and is now the vice president of hockey operations, I believe is this title with the Blackhawks. Um, he was the original one that got me in contact with, uh, Bernie John a couple of years ago. I uh, worked for the fuel four years ago as a, just a stats and analytics guy I ended up getting promoted to the video coach then on like an interim basis. Uh, came back to work for the admirals and spent two years with Robbie Fatorik and, uh, Peter Storkvich and just, uh, learned so much from them and then got a call from, uh, Al McIsaac again, uh, I guess two summers ago now, uh, asking me if I wanted, I would be interested in possibly rejoining the fuel. Uh, after that phone call, about maybe an hour or so later, I got a call from Coach Christensen. That's he asked me all about what I did and sent him some stuff and impressed him enough to he eventually offered me the job. So that's how I got here. Describe what your relationship is like with Doug Christensen and Andy Contoys, the coaching staff here in Indy. Oh, uh, they've been great. Um, it's funny because we've never actually met in person, uh, but I feel like we have a, a pretty good relationship. Um, they value my opinion. They use my information to help make their decisions. Um, they respect me as a peer, and that's really all I can ask for. Um, Doug and I have gotten a little closer just over the last year or so because we both had kids during the pandemic, uh, and that provides its own unique challenges. So sometimes we'll just talk about, you know, whatever our kids are doing. Um, so that's a cool non-hockey thing that we've we've gotten to share now. Um, but, yeah, our relationship has been great. I, I can't say enough about those two guys. What future aspirations do you have as you continue in your role breaking down video and being a video coach and being involved in hockey? Um, just to keep getting better and improving myself every day and my work. Um, I know there's still a lot I have to learn about the game of hockey. Uh, I'm just going to do my best to keep trying to learn it. Uh, love to keep working for the fuel uh, with Rockford and the entire Blackhawks organization. They've been really great to me over the years between – you know, like I said, Hal McIsaac, Mark Bernard, uh, Coach John, Coach Christians, everybody I've dealt with has just been great. I'd uh, love to keep working with them and, uh, you know, help the team make a deep playoff run this year and hope the, hopefully help the whole organization win some more games in the future. Now, one of the things that you did as you kind of got into this was you really started keeping stats at games. And how did that kind of lead to a love of stats and analytics for you? Um, yeah, so I... I just wanted to get my foot in the door somehow. I knew after I graduated that I wanted to work around hockey. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, I just I would attend games. I just started keeping track of my own little stats, like scoring chances. I, I was always intrigued by looking at a box score, and they just leave out so much. You could look at a box score, and if a game's one nothing or something, it doesn't really give you a whole lot of info on what happened. There could have been 30 scoring chances in the game, and the goaltenders played great. So I was, was was intrigued by the idea of that, you know, defensive defensemen, they're at their best when nothing is happening. How do you how do you figure how do you calculate that? Um, so all, that idea always intrigued me. Uh, yeah, like you said, just you know, I spent like two years just sitting at the top of games as a fan, just keeping track of my own stuff before I turned in um, like a stat pack to to the Admirals at the time. It was just 
told them, I was like, is there anything I can do for the team to use this? Uh, it's got to be inf- useful information. Uh, the coaches were impressed, and I've just been trying to uh, change it every year. So every coach is different. You know, some coaches value defense more than offense. Some, you know, value offense. When you know, it just depends. So uh, I just try to adjust it every year depending on, you know, what coaches want. You know, Coach Christensen values certain things, and I do my best to, to tailor the stats and analytics to what they want. That way, when they're getting numbers at the end of the game, they can trust, like, all right, this guy – did well he's doing exactly what we want him to do maybe this guy isn't so uh it's it's not an exact science by any stretch but it's something i i, I try to do and improve on uh every year i'm just uh, like i said keep getting better at it uh, one person that i know you sat alongside as a former indianapolis ice head coach in uh in bob ferguson who coached here uh, from 95 to 98 and uh, had a lot of success with the division championship and went on to work in the anaheim ducks organization and that's where you essentially would have been with him when uh, the Ducks were the parent club of the Admirals over in Norfolk. And tell us what being alongside a guy who's been around hockey as long as Bob Ferguson uh, has been like for you. Well, I'll be honest and say that I was pretty intimidated by Bob at the time. Uh, he was uh, so I was an intern. Uh, it was my first year, like in sort of a semi-official role, if you want to call it an intern, an official role. Uh, I was sitting up in the press box, though, with, you know, Bob Ferguson. His son, Brett, was a video coach at the time. Uh, Julian Samuelelli was there, handled all, like, the player personnel and everything. I was right in the heart of things. Uh, sat there for a full season. Bob sat right behind me. I don't think I said a single word to him, <laughs> but I listened to everything he said. He would make little comments during the games, just like, uh, you know, guys like, you know, coming and, and driving the net in certain situations. It's like, you know, this guy needs to do this more. And little things that he would say that he wouldn't even be saying to anybody. Uh, he would just like comments he'd make to himself. Uh, things like that. It just, you know, I'd always try to keep my ear out for things like that. You, you learn so much just as a fly on the wall, so to speak, in that regard. Uh, and his son, Brett, Fergie was great to me. Uh, he, you know, sort of, uh, humored me a little bit when I was showing him my stats and analytics and stuff. It was, was just trying to impress somebody and he really liked it he, he told me just to keep keep working on it keep getting better and that's what i've tried to do he they they both helped a lot um like i said i learned a lot just listening to bob and, and brett brett taught me a lot on the video side of things i'm very appreciative of both of those guys too and you also mentioned working with robbie fatoric for a couple of years former nhl head coach obviously his career in the wha and the nhl as a player uh was was outstanding but what was it like working for a guy who has the resume and the experience that Robbie Fatorik has? That was great. Every day, every day was an adventure. Um, Robbie is as old school as you can get. Um, it was, it was always great. Just you know, being uh, again, just kind of a fly on the wall, a sponge, absorbing as much as I could. Just listening to him talk to the players. He had such a great relationship with some of his players, uh, and that that might be the thing that I took away the most was. Um, you know, he just, he really cared for his guys. You know, even if he had to trade a guy or release a guy, you know, it was devastating to him. So much so that the players would sometimes have to console Robbie because he took it so hard. He, he didn't, he wanted to take care of his players. Um, I remember, I hope he's okay with me sharing a little story. I remember uh, a guy had been a sort of a lifer, if you will, in the ECHL, Dominic Alberga came in and Robbie sort of took him under his wing, uh, turned Bergie into a great player, uh, 
you know, last year I was with the Admirals. He got a training camp offer with Tucson Roadrunners. He ended up sticking with Tucson, um, scored his first goal. And I remember Robbie, I was sitting in, like, uh, my office was right across. It's basically like we shared an office kind of, so we're right across the hall. Uh, and he got a package one day, and he opened it up, and it was a card from Bergie and had his, his puck from his first goal. And just said, I would have never scored this if it weren't for you. It was just, it was great just seeing him have that moment. Berg had the moment. He thought enough of Robbie to send him the puck. It just, it really showed, you know, the relationship that the coach that Robbie had with his players. And that, that, you know, made a statement to me, like, you know, this is, this is how you got to handle things. You know, if you have to deal with players, you respect them. You, you show them that, you know, you value what happens to them. So, uh, that, that was a great thing. Just, you know, and just learning so much. Like I said, during the intermissions, we'd go in and we'd, We'd talk about the the goals and power plays and what things were, what the team was doing right, what they were doing wrong. It's just like I said, just trying to be a sponge and absorb as much as I could every day. Robbie was such a great guy. He was I, I can't say enough good things about Robbie either. Uh, you've been fortunate to work uh, with some really good head coaches and Robbie Fatorik and now uh, Doug Christensen here with the Fuel and glad to have you along with us here in Indy and. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and enjoy what's going to be a long night as it's a three and three, uh, but enjoy uh, this long weekend. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. And that's Dennis Williamson, the Indy Fuels video coach. We want to thank him, Terry Broadhurst, and Nick Hutchison for joining us. And those are all interviews you heard during intermissions on our game broadcasts. And also, we package them in full uncondensed form here on Under the Hood so that they are saved for posterity and so that our great fans can listen anytime they want, and especially if they missed them during the games or they were at the games and were unable to hear them. That's one of the reasons why we preserve these interviews for you so you can enjoy them on the Under the Hood podcast. So we want to thank all of our guests. Want to thank you as well for listening again a little bit of a change in the schedule for the fuel this week. Wednesday, April 28th, they are in Wheeling as originally scheduled. And then no games Friday and Saturday, April 30th and May 1st. Instead, Sunday, May 2nd, the fuel will host the Fort Wayne Comets at 4.05 p.m. And then on Tuesday, May 4th, the same two teams at 7.05 at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum as the Florida Everblades unable to play this weekend due to league safety concerns. want to thank you for joining us on this edition of Under the Hood. I am the broadcast voice of the Indy Fuel, Andrew Smith. We'll see you at the rink. Thanks for going Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.